Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. 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 Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy. And I am the minister with the North Valley Church of Christ. Okay, uh, we're going to just jump right into it. We're going to be looking at Ruth chapter 3. We've done the first two chapters, uh, two more to go. And uh, I hope you've been able to join with us on all of these uh, programs. So far, so good. And as we return to the story, we're going to witness an unusual marriage proposal. Now, we... We, we don't know how uh, Naomi's son, the one who passed away over in Moab, we don't know how he popped the question to Ruth when they were married before he died. But we're going to witness an, a, a very unusual but still a very decent marriage proposal. But before we do that, let's, uh, let's do a quick review of the story that we have uh, covered up to, up to this point. Um, give me one second here. There we go. Okay. Naomi and Ruth have experienced a lot of hardship and a lot of heartbreak. They'd lost their husbands while living in Moab. They'd returned to Bethlehem when the famine had lifted. That had been a difficult and scary uh, trip. Naomi, though, returned to Bethlehem as a broken and hopeless woman. But God began to extend his favor and lift her spirits when Ruth went out to glean and ended up in the field of Boaz, a relative of Naomi's deceased husband a potential kinsman redeemer. Now, Boaz noticed Ruth in his field and showed her extraordinary favor and generosity during the harvest. Naomi was so thankful that her daughter-in-law had been able to bring home such a large amount of grain over the course of the harvest. It was a real treasure. It would sustain the two of them for quite some time. Now, Boaz's positive treatment of Ruth throughout the harvest likely had both Naomi and Ruth wondering if Boaz also had a romantic interest in Ruth. If Boaz treated all those who gleaned his fields the way he treated Ruth, he would be gleaned out of house and home. However, if he was romantically inclined toward Ruth, he hadn't made it publicly known. Maybe he thought he was too old for her and that she would want someone younger. Maybe Ruth was still wearing her widow's clothes, signaling, signaling excuse me, that she was still grieving. But now that the harvest was drawing to a close, Naomi knew that the opportunity for Ruth to be proactive with Boaz was about to end. Naomi was not just some meddling mother-in-law, rather she was looking out for Ruth's very best interest by concocting the plan she was about to propose. Now, without a plan like the one Naomi would suggest, Ruth would have had to glean every harvest uh, for years to come just in order to get by. 
So basically, Naomi encouraged Ruth to let Boaz know that she, Ruth, was willing to marry him. Let's start by reading verses 1 through 4. Uh, Ruth chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now is not Boaz our kinsman with whose maid you were? Behold, he winnows barley at the threshing floor tonight. Wash yourself, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your best clothes, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. It shall be, when he lies down, that you, sh- you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will tell you what you shall do. Okay, that is a little odd, isn't it? Isn't that a little weird? Have you read that? I'm sure surely you have read Ruth. But if not, isn't that strange? <laughs> Who would want to do that? Hmm. If you, if, if I have, I hope I do, have some teenagers out there living at home with mom and dad, listen up. W- would you want to do this? <laughs> what a strange thing. Have you ever had your parents tell you to do something that was strange like this? Ruth, as we'll see here in a little bit, she's going to do it. In the Old Testament times, you know, parents often arranged marriages for their children. But nowhere does the Old Testament show such a role being given to the mother-in-law. Now, I, I, you know, I made a comment here at North Valley when I, I went through this chapter. I made a comment that I wish we still arranged marriages today. Boy, I, I, I know people usually laugh or smile at that, but after I, I didn't get pushback, but I, it was pretty clear. Some people were like, that is not a good idea, Chris. <laughs> well, I'm not saying I'm going to do it. But I think it was a good practice. In today's age, I feel like it's needed. No offense to our younger folks, but I guess there is some. But anyway, the arrangements of marriage, though, back then were often done in a more formal, customary way, than, especially the way that Naomi suggested. Boaz was a suitable prospect to marry Ruth. Not, not, not just because he was wealthy or uh, in a man of character, but because he was a close relative. A Leverite marriage is literally a marriage with a brother-in-law. Now, Leverite, if I'm saying that correctly, L-E-V-I-R-A-T-E, has nothing to do with the tribe of Levi, L-E-V-I, even though they've got the same first four letters. It comes from a Latin word, lever, and it means a husband's brother. You see, back then, if a, if a man died without a child, it was common for the man's unmarried brother to marry the widow in order to provide an heir for the deceased. The widow would marry a, a brother-in-law, and the first son produced in that union would be considered the legal descendant of her dead husband. The Old Testament law even speaks of this. Deuteronomy 25, 5-6. through six, When brothers live together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the deceased shall not be married outside the family to a strange man. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her to himself as wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. 
It shall be that the firstborn whom she bears shall assume the name of his dead brother, so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. Hmm. So one thing is clear in this story, and one thing is not. What is clear um, is that this was Naomi's way of trying to get Boaz to marry Ruth. What is not clear is why she would go about it like this. Why didn't Naomi just have a conversation with Boaz instead of orchestrating this highly suggestive and, and honestly a risky midnight maneuver? Was Naomi indifferent to the possibility that Boaz might drive Ruth away in moral indignation uh, or, or, or that he may give in to temptation and have sexual relations with her? Now, that's not likely because we know the character of Boaz, and I'm sure she does too. I'm sure he's got a reputation. So, But still, do you want to throw that kind of temptation out at people? Did Naomi want that to happen? Or was Naomi so sure as we were just saying, of Boaz and Ruth, that she knew they would treat each other with perfect purity, that Boaz would be deeply moved by this brash offer of Ruth in marriage and would avoid sexual relations until all was duly made official by the city elders. The author doesn't come right out and tell us why Naomi chose this tempting strategy to win Boaz for Ruth. There will be a clue later on, but for now, the writer seems to want us to feel suspense and ambiguity. The long and short of the plan was that Ruth was to do herself up as pretty as she could and go to Boaz when he was alone and essentially offer herself to him, trusting that he would accept her offer and move ahead with marriage. The putting on of best clothes was not only for attractiveness, but it was also for warmth. She was going to be out all night on this engagement. The word clothes means cloak or mantle. It was the outer garment that uh, also could act as a blanket for warmth. Putting on the perfume would enhance her image, as only higher class people would essentially be able to afford uh, such an item. But the idea... The idea of meeting on the threshing floor... Ooh, man... That was pretty loaded. It's a lot like parking in Lover's Lane or sneaking up to the hayloft and setting for a romantic uh, encounter, right? He would often had raised a few eyebrows as people heard the story unfold. It was common for prostitutes to work the threshing floors and get paid with grain. Hosea 9.1 You have loved harlots' earnings on every threshing floor. Hmm? Hosea 9.1 Uncovering a man's feet in this type of setting was often a sign you were ready for intimacy. This doesn't mean Ruth was prepared to go that far in this encounter, but she was definitely making the statement that she was ready to marry him and be his partner. It was also a gesture of trust. She was willing to make herself vulnerable to him, being open to accept, uh, to acceptance or to rejection. Now, before we read on through, again, understand the original readers would have seen the dangers and the risk involved in this approach and how this tension adds suspense to the story. So I, I think we need to also, we need to have that tension 
in this situation. The risks involved. Now, we know the story, but that there's supposed to be tension here. Hmm. Uh, let's, uh, let's read on in Ruth chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. Uh, she, this is Ruth, said to her, her uh, mother-in-law, Naomi, All that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law had commanded her. When Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain, and she came secretly and uncovered his feet and lay down. Hmm. So Ruth proceeded with the plan, ended up waiting on the threshing floor for Boaz to finish his work, his dinner, and the fact that he left dinner in good spirits can mean that he enjoyed some good wine, but it can also mean that he was feeling satisfied inside about uh, how everything was going on. The harvest was in. The, re- the results were good. There was a new young woman in the field he really taken a shining to. You know, we've all been there when things were going well or when we had just enjoyed a good meal and, and there was excitement of a budding romance. Well, man, it's a good week. Nothing can get me down. I'm going to go lay down and have a siesta. So Boaz ended up sleeping at the end of a pile of barley while Ruth waited in a place where she was hiding. Now, why did Boaz go to sleep there on the threshing floor? Maybe it was because it was late. He needed to be back to work early in the morning. Maybe he slept there to guard the harvest from robbers. I don't know. But as soon as everyone was gone and Boaz began to snore, Ruth quietly approached him, right? Raised the blanket off his feet. Oof, cold. Laid down at his feet. Bible doesn't say Ruth pulled the blanket over on herself. Some people think that. She probably hadn't since she, uh, since in so many words, uh, that's what she asked Boaz to do once he woke up. We'll get there in a moment. So they lay there, a man and a woman, with a woman at his feet. Anyone who happened by, they would have seen nothing but two figures sleeping on the floor. It was not unusual to sleep by the harvest to guard it from, from theft. And as I mentioned earlier, Ruth was dressed for warmth, so she was bundled up in her cloak, was likely unrecognizable as a woman in the darkness and from a distance. So chances are no one thought anything un, you know, bad was happening there. Now the, the story continues. We'll start in verse 8 to the first part of verse 9. It happened in the middle of the night that the man, Boaz, was startled and bent forward. And behold, a woman was lying at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your maid. So something startled Boaz out of his sleep. It might have been the movement of Ruth at his feet. It might have been the cool air on his uncovered feet, probably, I think. But whatever it was, Boaz woke up, noticed a woman lying there. Who are you? He would ask. It's not surprising he didn't recognize it. It was, really, it was dark. He just woke up. So he's, you know, he's probably a little disoriented. Could you imagine how fast Ruth's pulse must have been racing when Boaz awoke and asked the question? But she was ready to respond. And interestingly enough, the text doesn't say that Naomi rehearsed a speech with her. The Bible says, Ruth said, I am Ruth, your servant. This is the the second part of verse 9. Take me under your wing, for you are a family redeemer. Now, the New American Standard says, I, I am Ruth, your maid, so spread your covering over your maid, for you are a close relative. Uh, 
you know, it it's better translated as take me under your wing. Because that, that word wing there in the Hebrew, that's that word, I'm sorry, covering that the New American Center has can be translated as wing. And I think it's harking back to what uh, he told her in chapter 2. The invitation to take me under your wing, spread your covering over me, was a common invitation to marriage from brides-to-be to their suitors. Ruth was smart enough to add a reason for Boaz to accept her proposal. The fact that he was a kinsman, he was a redeemer. But I imagine that there had to have been an immense amount of silence for a moment while Boaz allowed himself to come to grips with the fact that this amazing young woman was actually interested in becoming his wife. And he was still waking up. It was dark. He found out who it was. And she pretty much proposed, hey, I'm ready to get married. Are you? And then dead silence in the dark. She probably can't even see his face uh, reaction. So uh, could you, uh, how stressful <laughs> this moment must have been for poor Ruth as she waited for a comment from her. But the Bible records Boaz's response for us. Look there at verses 10 and 11. Then he said, May you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after young men, whether poor or rich. Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask, for all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. So, as always, Boaz began by requesting that the Lord bless Ruth. Rather than rejecting Ruth's request or ridiculing her for making such a bold proposal or rebuking her for disturbing his sleep, instead he calls on the Lord to do the best possible for Ruth. By blessing her, he's affirming her value both to the Lord and to himself. And then he commended her for showing kindness to him. Uh, You've shown me more than before. He's saying there that the kindness she was now showing him by choosing him rather than some younger man was better and greater than the kindness she had shown her own mother-in-law when she left her home and family and returned to Bethlehem. Now the word kindness, that's an important word in the Old Testament. It is representative of God's actions toward the nation of Israel. The word um, is hesed, hesed, H-E-S-E-D, and it stands for a loyal and committed love. Grace is and favor. The fact that Boaz refers to her twice as his daughter, again, suggests the age gap between them. And the next thing Boaz did was reassure Ruth that he would most certainly and happily be her husband because, well, everyone else knew what a woman of noble character she was. He wanted her to know she was indeed a keeper and that she had nothing to fear. But, but, there was one minor problem. Look down at Ruth 3 verses 12 to 13. Boaz <laughs> continues. Now it is true that I am a close relative. I am a redeemer. However, there is a clo- uh, a relative closer than I. Remain this night and when morning comes, if he will redeem you, good. Let him redeem you. But if he does not wish to redeem you, then I will redeem you as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. Okay. Love Boaz. He comes across as such a generous and and faultless man who has such amazing self-control. He very much wants to marry this amazing young woman. But there is another relative 
who is a closer relative, and he is and should have the first option to marry her. The fact that Boaz was aware of this reality tells us that he's been thinking about marrying Ruth. Don't, don't you agree? He knew that he was in line as a kinsman redeemer. But he also knew there was a second in line. Being aware of his status, he was waiting for a sign from Ruth that she was interested in him over and above others. He didn't want to come across as that creepy old guy. But talk about integrity. If he was to push ahead and marry Ruth without consulting the other man, he would be breaking the law. If they married and the other man made a fuss, the marriage could be canceled or worse. Boaz would not jeopardize uh, jeopardize their future by getting off to a bad start. So he encouraged her, be patient. He was hoping and trusting that God would provide a way for him to approach the other kinsman, Redeemer, peaceably and end up being able to marry Ruth. If, however, the other relative claimed his right, then that man would marry Ruth and Boaz would lose her forever. That was the chance they would have to take to make sure that things were done right. Boaz and Ruth had confirmed their love for each other and their desire to marry, but the outcome was not assured by any means. They stayed there together that night on the threshing floor, but there is nothing in the text to suggest that they did anything but sleep closely to each other. Today's part of the story concludes like this in verses 14 to 18. Uh, So she lay at his feet until morning and rose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Again, he said, give me the cloak that is on you and hold it. So she held it and he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. When she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did it go, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done for her. She said, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said, Do not go to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then she said, Wait, my daughter, until you know how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest until he has settled it today. All right. So the two of them wake up. Uh, the earliest flight, Boaz gave her a large amount of grain to take home. This gifted two things. Sent a signal to Naomi. Ruth's venture had gone well. Boaz would pursue redeeming her daughter-in-law through marriage. That's good. But also, it was a defense to guard Ruth in case she came across anyone on her walk home. Carrying a load of grain would lead people to think that she had been working late, fell asleep in the fields, and was just now coming home. When Ruth got home, she gave the report to Naomi. It was easily the best news Naomi had heard in a while. God's favor was returning to her again, and she was thankful. Naomi likely already knew about the other kinsman redeemer, and that was likely the reason she had come up with the plan, the very unusual but yet decent proposal. But now, having seen God's hand in all of this, she was, I'm sure, was confident that all would go well. So we'll hit on how that goes next week in chapter 4. But I want to talk about some of the lessons we can learn here. First, I want to suggest that God wants us to step out in faith. Not not blindly. I'm not talking about that. But sometimes the things we do involve a bit of a risk. As the old saying goes, nothing ventured, nothing gained. We can't expect to achieve anything if we never take any risks. Naomi took a risk concocting a plan. Ruth took a risk putting the plan into motion. But thankfully, Boaz was pleased with the decent proposal. 
None of it was guaranteed. It could have all crashed and burned. And such is the case with anything we step out in faith and try. Whether it's deciding to go to college, trying a new job, start of a friendship, getting involved in ministry. It all requires faith. It involves risk. God is pleased when his people live by faith and don't shrink back. So what new venture do you think God's calling you to take or maybe to step out in faith and trust him with? Second, I want to suggest that we always try to do the right thing in the right way. And what I mean by that is that God wants us to strive to live lives of righteousness and integrity. Boaz found himself in a tempting and potentially compromising situation. He was, uh, here was a young woman uh, that he was inter- uh, attracted to, very much so, and she was sending the signal that she was interested in him. They were together in the middle of the night. No one else was around, but Boaz was a man of integrity. He was committed to purity, and so he exercised self-control and did nothing that would bring shame on himself or on Ruth or on his God. And then on top of all that, even though he wanted to marry Ruth and she wanted to marry him, the law of God said that someone else should be given the first opportunity to marry Ruth. How it would have been, how easy would it have been for him Boaz to try to skirt the law, to uh, find a loophole, but he wouldn't do it. The Proverbs tells us to take only the paths that are firm and straight. The world tells us, yeah, if it feels good, do it. The ends justify the means, right? But taking crooked paths and cutting corners will cost us dearly someday. When we act with righteousness and integrity, and do the right thing in the right way, then we have nothing to fear, and we can know that God sees and is pleased and will reward us. So we all need to follow the examples of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz, stepping out in faith with righteousness, with integrity. And when we do, we can see how God brings blessings and brings favor to us, and to others. What a blessing. I love the book of Ruth. I encourage you to read it. Read up on chapter 4 for next week when we close this out. I appreciate everyone being here today. Thank you very much. May the blessings of the Lord be with you. Pray for our country. Pray for the state of Arizona. Pray for the unborn babies. Pray for those who are dying at the border that all may work out. God's in control. God is in control. Naomi couldn't see it in the beginning, but now she can. Step back and see the hand of God. Redeem the time. Make the most of every opportunity, folks. The Lord knows and sees. He is in control. Thank you, and God bless. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. To hear this program again, go to FamilyValuesRadio1010.com and click on the podcast page and find this program and many others right there on FamilyValuesRadio1010.com.